Hello and welcome to the VSC podcast. Here we sit down with professionals that serve survivors and victims of trauma or those who have experienced violence and have conversations about social issues. My name is Hannah Jennerine, my pronouns are she, her, and I am the violence prevention educator at the Victim Service Center of Central Florida. In this podcast, we discuss sensitive topics such as violence and sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you're in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. For the Florida State Sexual Helpline, call 888-956-7273. By contacting the National Hotline at 1-800-656-4673, you can get support and learn about your local resources. There is always someone ready to help. In today's episode, I have with me Juanita Carvajal, who is the Director of Marketing and Community Relations at Positive Behavioral Solutions. Today, we'll be speaking about the importance of developing relationships with mental health professionals and partnerships with mental health organizations. So without further ado, let's get to it. Juanita, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. Of course. To start, could you share with our listeners a little bit more about who you are and the work that you do? Yes, absolutely. So my name is Juanita Carbajal. I'm the Community Relations Director for Positive Behavior Solutions. I'm also currently an MPH candidate with the University of Florida. I have over 10 years of working in the mental health space, doing um, community mental health, PSR, support groups. Now, um, my current role is more outreach and partnerships. So that's what I'm my current passion, but my passion has been working in the mental health field for all these years. Um, I have a lot of experience working with teens and youth with um, when I was doing a lot of PSR work. Now, um, my work is kind of just bringing it all together and ensuring that our services um, expand, but also we utilize other people's services when we can't meet their mental health needs. Um, I also do um, co-facilitate Hablemos Mas. It's a peer support group with um, peer support space. So shout out to peer support space. Um, Always doing great things. So Hablemos Mas is for... um, Spanish-speaking adults that need a space to talk about their mental health. Um, A lot of times we do little art projects or we talk about our feelings. We talk about things that are going on in the community. So it's a great um, space for us to get together. And yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Um, I think that's it in a nutshell. Oh, I'm also a huge advocate for the BIPOC community. I like to host events or co-host events as far as advocating for BIPOC populations and also a very strong LGBTQ ally. So That's amazing, Juanita. Thank you so much for all the work that you do and for being such a strong partnership, especially with the Victim Service Center. We appreciate you. And wow, I'm just amazed. I'm like, wow, I I hope I get to do all those things one day too. You will. You will. Just stick to it. There's (laughs) definitely some ups and downs bumps around the road, but you can do it. Thank you, Juanita. So like I said in the beginning, and like I shared with our audience today, we're going to be talking more about partnerships in the mental health care um, industry. So the first question that I have for you today is, Juanita, can you please tell us a little bit about the benefits of partnerships in mental health care and why it's important to take a collaborative approach? 
Absolutely. So the benefits of partnerships are pretty much priceless in the mental health field. Um, clearly, at this moment, we are outnumbered with requests for services or um, sometimes not excelling in a need that we don't specialize. So unfortunately, due to some systemic barriers, sometimes we can't always fulfill everyone's needs or their requests. So it's important to partner with trusted entities, you know, like Victim Service Center, Peer Support, um, SEDNET, um, you know, Advent Health, any food banks or financial assistance, housing, because mental health services is not just providing therapy or evidence-based practice. There's several layers to the issue that we need to we need to partner with our trusted um, community and work collaboratively to help our community. Um, I would say I've gotten to know a lot of local organizations and nonprofits that do great work like Victim Service Center, but sometimes the necessity with mental health is just getting our basic needs met, like food and housing. So that is very important. I love how you said that um, mental health care isn't just about therapy. Because a lot of the times, like, there's a stigma where, oh, when you think about mental health, it's all about, like, you know, getting these counseling services and therapy. But like you said, it's also about getting your basic needs met. So a lot of the times, people who are in abusive relationships, for example, it's not only their mental health that's at stake, but also, like, housing, shelter, making sure that mm -hmm. they have income, making sure that they're being fed. And a lot of the times, it's hard for these individuals to get out of these relationships because they depend on an abuser. And that's just one example. So thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. My next question for you, Juanita, how do partnerships between mental health professionals and community organizations help to improve access to mental health services and reduce stigma? Um, I think a lot of us do a great job about just talking about mental health. That's always the first step. I think in Central Florida, we're doing a phenomenal job at, you know, the basic step is just talking about our mental health, talking about um, ways we can reduce the stigma. The stigma. Um, I noticed that we partner to host a lot of educational series um, to support groups, um, but also we refer to one another when we can't get that need met. So like you mentioned earlier, like, Domestic violence is a huge strain for PBS. So that's why we have to work with other organizations, whether it's Victim Service Center, Safe House, Harbor House. Like it's important to come together um, and just find what best meets the client's need. Because sometimes what we as a provider think meets the client's need, they're in a whole other tangent and they express, well, maybe that service didn't work for them in the past. So they have to look at other options. Um, I think for the most part, we also have to be cognizant of like, sometimes we can't meet their requests and it requires a higher level care. So what exactly is a higher level care? It's probably a, a little bit more intensive treatment that goes beyond what we can provide at the moment. Um, sometimes it is partial hospitalization. Sometimes it is, um, you know, a residential program. So we have to be able to... Um, advocate for that person when they need that service, because sometimes they require um, a clinician or a doctor or someone to advocate for them to get those services in the first place. Can you share an example of how successful partnerships like the Victim Service Center and Positive Behavioral Solutions have a positive impact on individuals and communities? And it doesn't even have to just be like our two organizations. It can be others as well. Yeah. 
Um, absolutely. So it's been an honor getting to work with Victim Service Center and the Trauma-Focused CBT Collaborative. I think um, there's several collaboratives that do occur here in Central Florida, and it's given us an opportunity to pretty much learn from one another on how our system works. Um, right now, a lot of us have noticed that we're dealing with um, shortage of staff, um, leadership changes. So when we come and we partner and just have those difficult discussions with several leaders in our community, like we're able to learn from one another and we're able to kind of brainstorm and piggyback on ideas that maybe worked for us, but you guys haven't tried it or vice versa, something worked for Victim Service Center that maybe we can implement um, just to be a stronger team and obviously just to be a stronger community. And that also speaks um, really heavily on the importance of hearing other approaches and collaboration as well, going back to that, because there isn't really one way of helping yes. like our community. It's all about, you know, finding solutions and looking at how some another organization approached it. And it's all about perspective. So I think that's really important. And thank you for sharing that. Yes, I agree about perspective for sure. Um, I think like we've learned so much. I think we had our last trauma-focused CBT collaborative like um, earlier or the end of last month. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we still were able to notice growth. Like some of us went in there not knowing what to expect. And mm -hmm. sometimes not knowing what to expect brings so much growth and knowledge to us. So exactly, very appreciative of that. And then you can take that experience. And if there's like another nonprofit organization who's seeking to provide the same services, you, you can say like, hey, this is a collaborative that we've done and here's what works. And also, I think it's really cool to hear the feedback as well, like from everyone who's involved, because while someone may have gotten like a really good experience from that collaborative, someone else may have thought like, wow, like this was good, but I wish we could have done this. So it's hearing also, once again, the perspectives and then making sure to, you know, implement them this way, everyone's needs are being met and that, you know, everyone is receiving the services that'll help them throughout like the course of their healing. How, Absolutely. How can mental health professionals and community organizations work together to promote holistic approaches to mental wellness? Um, well, first of all, is one, we had to familiarize ourselves about with what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we we know or we heard of an organization, but sometimes we don't know what they're doing. So building that trust with an entity that works for that organization um, gets us to know more, like gets mm -hmm. us to know, like, you know, do you have a waiting list? What does your intake process look like? Um, what are some of the restrictions? Do you see, like, what age population do you see? Um, can you offer your service in a different language? So basically, it just comes down to knowing what your providers look like and what they offer. Um, oftentimes, we hear, oh, we don't have that resource in Central Florida. And then you realize, actually, there was something already, mm -hmm. um, you know, that an organization offered. It was probably not publicized or people didn't know about it or maybe they were unsure and they forgot to ask a question but mm -hmm. a lot of the resources that I feel like um people oftentimes think doesn't exist like sometimes a dv group people don't think it exists but because it's a private um safety precaution um mm -hmm. you know they do exist we know at least about like I know with victim service center there's at least three more 
um, organizations that do offer DV groups. Mm. So it just depends on the privacy settings. Um, I would say get to know your providers. Um, there's so many opportunities for us to get to know each other, whether it's through events, like sometimes we do a lot of educational tabling events. Just It's not just for stakeholders or community, it's for ourselves too. Because if I know that Victim Service Center has this new group or that we are sharing a new group, it's important to share and spread the, the word about what we're doing. So tabling, so basically community outreach when it comes to like trainings, giving like presentations about what your organization does, attending tabling events, like volunteer um, management and volunteer coordination. That's how word essentially spreads. And that's how people get to know more about our services. Because when it when it's all said and done, it's important that yes, we're doing the work, but it's also equally important that people know what we're doing so yeah. that what we're doing isn't just like we're doing it just to do it. Yeah. We're actually receiving these services. Are there any, I'm sure there are challenges, but what would you say based on your experience and doing this work for so many years, what are some of the challenges and barriers to building successful partnerships in mental health care? And if you have any experience or personal examples as to how like you were involved in like a barrier and how you overcame it, would you mind sharing that? Absolutely. So some of our biggest challenges is obviously typically funding. Um, that's one. You I know, can the relate elephant to that. In the room. <laughs> it's always the elephant in the room that like, yeah. okay, yeah, funding. Um, and also Medicaid restrictions. So mm-hmm. insurance limitations, that's usually a big one. Um, I know a lot of organizations that do accept Medicaid, but unfortunately, sometimes um, a certain insurance plan only limits X amount of sessions or X amount of hours. And unfortunately, sometimes that doesn't suffice to meet the client's needs, especially mm-hmm. when if it's a chronic case or if it's a case that you know requires a little bit more in-depth and specialized treatment, it might take longer than what the insurance um is suggesting. So those are our biggest barriers, I would say. Um, I would say there was a point like maybe pre-COVID where we Mm kind of thought we had competitors, but really there's more than enough to go around. Um, Organizations that do the same or similar work to you, I would say, look at them as, you know, potential partners versus competitors, because we can't always meet the needs. Like there's some, like even here in PBS, we offer diverse, um, we have diverse staff that can offer services in Spanish um, or, mm-hmm. or Portuguese, but Creole, like unfortunately we don't have a Creole speaking provider. So that's why it's beneficial to look at, you know, what Lucas or Pan America or other organizations that do what we do, if they have a provider that can, you know, meet that, that request, then it would be awesome for us to just refer to them instead of making them wait on the service. So that's kind of my niche on that. Um, Barriers can also be, um, you know, sometimes newer staff, they don't have the time to get trained on all the resources because you're just kind of hopping right into your role. Like you don't get a day to just study all the resources or maybe you do and that's great. But typically in social services, it's you start working like the day you sign almost mm-hmm. <laughs> your contract, you're ready yeah. to work. Everyone's <laughs> excited for you. So, mm-hmm. 
Um, thank you, Juanita. I just thought of something as it relates to like mental health organizations and community groups, like like for example, like schools and churches and um other, you know, other organizations that help, you know, whether it's like youth or whether it's like elders or whether it's like veterans. Um can you touch, can you speak more about the importance of connecting mental health services with these communities as well? Like, and if if it is important, why is it important? Yes, absolutely. So right now our school system obviously is facing some challenges. Um, there's some legislation issues that might affect, well, that most definitely affect the mental health of our youth. Mm-hmm. So it's important sometimes as a outpatient option to hold that space for our youth when they can't get it in the school. Um, schools, we are a SEDNET provider and our schools do a phenomenal job at referring to us and trusting us with um, any mental health need that their students are experiencing. And a lot of it sometimes is outside of the home or outside of school settings. Um, so that is one way. Um, I know the SEDNET program, it does select organizations to come into the schools so it can minimize that barrier of, you know, scheduling or time or any of that sort. So that's been working phenomenally. But also when working with veterans, it's also important to um, identify who specializes in working with veterans. There's a lot of providers that do work with veterans. There's a lot of great programs out there um, that offer free services for veterans. So it's just becoming aware. I would say knowing more about the veteran program is one of my weaknesses. So I do have Mm -hmm. to work on identifying some of those. But yeah, and with mainly also supporting our first responders, because just because we're the front line of, you know, getting the work done in this field doesn't mean it doesn't affect us because we're human. We're still human. The things we see, the things we hear, it also affects our own mental health. So and clinicians as well. Like we are, um, we aren't exempt by just working in this field from experiencing any type of mental health diagnosis. Um, I will self-disclose, like I have complex PTSD, but you know, a lot of my I I've grown to have that comfort of sharing that diagnosis to normalize that it's not just for the community or for other people. The way sometimes we're taught is that. We have to completely oppress all of our needs because we're working with other people. It actually can bring a lot of healing when we selectively self-disclose, you know, to empower um, the communities that we do work with. I love that you said that as well, because, you know, at the Victim Service Center, we don't only assist primary survivors. And these are primary survivors for the audience who doesn't know. These are individuals who first handedly have been victimized, but also secondary survivors as well. Like even though trauma happens to maybe like that one individual, it still affects people in like Mm -hmm. their family, in their community, in society. And ultimately, it can also affect people nationally and around the whole world. I mean, if you look at um, like Turkey and Syria, you hear about the earthquakes happening there. We're all three in the United States, but we're still affected by that because we're seeing, you know, the news coverage of all these, you know, families that people are being killed and their homes are being destroyed and their livelihoods are now in chaos. And I really appreciate you, you know, for sharing that and for self-disclosing, Juanita. Thank you so much because- It just helps empower people as well to recognize that, hey, like, even though you weren't the one who maybe was assaulted, 
your feelings, your mental health is still very mm-hmm. much validated because it's, and it's okay for you to seek services. It's okay for you to reach out because that's essentially what we're here for. And also regarding um, what you said about first responders and also schools, something that I can personally relate to as well, because I provide education and trainings to the community mm-hmm. is that it's important for us to reach all audiences. It's not just yeah. limited to, you know, schools and like law enforcement, something that something recently happened to a close friend of mine. And when it comes to sexual assault, and it made me realize we also need to spread our education to massage parlors. We also need to yeah. spread our education to, you know, other like private business stylists, barbers. Exactly. So just so yeah, grocery shop, grocery baggers. You, just yeah, so they hear it all for so sure. It's it's just so important. So thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. In your experience, Juanita, how do partnerships and mental health care help to empower individuals take an active role in their mental health? Um, So that actually gives individuals an opportunity to select what works for them, you know, just because, you know, a doctor may be recommending X, Y, and Z, the patient may not be ready for all of that. So either starting with a peer at first, you know, to get comfortable or, you know, trying mental health treatment once a month, you know, also there's like cost limitations. So empowering the individual to look at their treatment is really going to make them, you know, stick to it in the long run is what we've noticed. Um, We can recommend, you know, twice a week or whatever, but like if if the patient or client isn't ready, then unfortunately, like they're going to go back to what the basic needs are. So if let's say we have an individual that we really needs therapy, we see it, you know, providers see it, but if they're having issues with housing, can't afford, um, or don't have food, like so that's, that's going to counseling. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Counseling is not going to be their priority. Their priority is going to be meeting their basic needs. And we have to be mindful of that. We can't just, you know, we can do our best to like link them to those services in the meantime. And then hopefully down the road, they realize, okay, I'm ready for therapy. I have what I need. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, that's, that's as simple and it's what's working. And I I think it's very essential and important that you said that because a lot of people think that therapy is basically you talking to a stranger about your problems and then provide them providing you with like solutions or like basically validating you but that's not necessarily the case like at the same time what you said everyone has different situations going on in their lives for example if we take the case of let's say like a homeless person they Mm -hmm. are living on the street and they even though let's say a homeless person may have been assaulted they still don't have their mate their basic needs ne- yet mm-hmm. met of like food of housing of safety being around oh, their family of getting of receiving that love that you know sense of belonging yeah. knowing that they're cared for so i do want to break that stigma and say that if you reach out to a mental health you know service or counselor or your willing to talk to somebody they're not gonna like sit you down and say tell me about your problems they're gonna create and tailor like a safety plan for you or they're gonna tailor like a needs assessment based on what you need at this time and they're gonna connect you with other resources so if you need housing they're gonna find the best organization 
out there that can help you secure housing. If you need food, they're going to find an organization that provides, you know, free food or um, a food bank. So yeah, I, I think it's very important that we continue to, you know, spread awareness about mental health services and to like break the whole stigma of, you know, I don't need help. I don't need somebody to listen to me. So that's great. Yeah. What I love that? how passionate you are about that. Hannah. <laughs> I am. I'm so I can see it. I can see it. Okay. <laughs> because it's before I started working here, I, you know, I, I never knew how to respond to people who would say, you know, I don't need therapy or I don't need crisis counseling. I'm fine. I can handle this by myself. But I think there's a certain like beauty and just these are individuals who are doing this work because they want to help. And then letting them help you, you know, letting them serve you and help you reach where you want to go. I think it's important. So yes. that was my little spiel on that. <laughs> Great job. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> of course. Juanita, what advice would you give to mental health professionals or community organizations who are interested in building partnerships to support mental wellness? Um, very easy. Don't be afraid to network and put yourself out there. I know some of us are very hesitant to networking or it's like, oh, I don't want to work. I don't want to do. It's not even that. It's just having that conversation. Um, just, you know, when you're in, uh, let's say you're at a conference, you know, there's so many like-minded people in your round table that you can just talk about. And that's where ideas start to come. Like, I think, I want to say victim service center. We met you guys at TFCBT, but now we refer to you guys for like services, doing podcasts, events. So, you know, it's just being friendly, approachable, um, surrounding yourself with like-minded people, talking about your ideas. Um, that's how ideas come to life. So I would say that's one of my biggest tips. Um, also, a lot of the people in this field, we have that passion, that drive, and, you know, like we see the barriers and most of us want to change or advocate to improving those barriers, but it takes a team, it takes effort and one person can't do it alone. Like we say, you are not alone. We are not alone in this field for sure. Exactly. Exactly. How can we ensure that collaborative approaches to mental health care are inclusive and equitable and also that they address the unique needs of different communities so that services are affordable and accessible? I know that was a lot. So no, that's good. <laughs> um, I think it all just comes down to foundation of trust and transparency. Um, when um, in order to, you know, build that foundation, you have to have trust Um and that trust comes from being transparent about what the services look like, being able to offer them in the language that the person speaks or feels more comfortable, being able to um, identify, you know, let's say LGBT, like if you um, introduce yourself with pronouns, you know, that ensures that you're a safe person to talk to. Mm -hmm. um, just little things like that literally make a difference. Um, and eye contact at the end of the day it's like you have to be able to hold you have to give space to hold space yeah. so when you do that for others um it shows that you know they belong they're accepted this is a place where they can go for healing and yeah be yeah, able 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And just trust, like I just always say, trust and transparency is the best tool to building rapport with anyone. That can be a client, a patient, mm -hmm. stakeholder, colleague. Yeah. Yeah. And then also it's the, it's also verbal and also nonverbal, um, like cues that you give them. So like the eye contact is very important. It's also continuing to educate yourself on different cultures. So developing cultural humility. So I actually did some research on this and, um, cultural humility for our audience who may not be aware of what this term means. It's essentially acknowledging and accepting that we're all different from one another. So even though I am Guyanese American, I my cousin who's also Guyanese American has a different experience than I do. So it's understanding that just because we're both Guyanese, we don't have necessarily the same value, yeah. the same like outlook in life. Like we're very different people. So it's being humble and understanding that hey, even though these two, you know, women they're Guyanese, yeah. I respect and I'm humble and I understand that their culture may be similar, but they're not the same. Yeah, so, your lived experience is different yes, for sure. Exactly. Well, it differs and overlaps in some ways too. Exactly. Like you said, like traditions. Same with me, I'm Mexican-American and um, my experience living in the States my whole life is not the same as my cousin's experience living in Mexico, even though we are part of the same culture and part of the same family. It's just a whole different, yeah. And that's a whole different life. Yeah, it is. And that's why I always say like educating yourself, reading up on news. And I, I love how you said the LGBTQ plus community, because as much as you think, you know, there's always more. Yeah. So understanding why pronouns are so important, understanding why people have like she, her, hers, or they, them, yeah. you know, understanding why people have that understanding, you know, different um, romantic attractions, because this way, even though you are not that person and you probably cannot put yourself in that person's shoes because you've never experienced what they're feeling. It's it's developing that empathy, I would say. And I, I'm really big on empathy, especially when I give trainings and I give presentations and I'm talking about sexual assault. It's understanding that how you think, or let me rephrase this. It's more like someone responds and reacts to a situation based on what they think is best for them at that time. So it's understanding like not to automatically judge them for what they, you know, how they reacted or responded, but saying like, Hey, I understand what you did. Like I, I get it and I accept you and just, you know, being, being supportive of them and continuing to educate yourself is so important. So. Yeah. And I concur. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Okay. <laughs> How can we continue to strengthen communities and empower individuals? I'm going to keep it very simple. Just show up. That's it. Show up for your, your role. Show up for the people that you care about. Show up for your communities. Show up for, you know, that friend that may need you. Just showing up is really how we strengthen our communities, showing up for that event. You know, a lot of us, we host networking events for mental health providers. And, you know, sometimes we get people that say we'll come and then they don't. But if you just show up, you'll realize you can build connections. You get to meet new people that you didn't have the opportunity to meet in your office. Like, so that's, or conferences, you know, a lot of us are like, oh, look at this great conference. We want to go. And then sometimes it gets put in the back burner or 
just showing up People literally forget, or they get busy yeah yeah or you get busy yeah so that is probably I want to keep it very simple and say that that's worked for me and consistency being consistent um showing up and being consistent are the two that I would strongly um share with my community it's like maybe it's an off day and like you don't have a good impression but you know we're all human we all you know we learn from this we're all always learning I can't say there's like what I was doing year one of mental health is not what I'm doing now but it's built me and given me the experience to share with others um I do want to shamelessly share that positive behavioral solutions did turn nine years old <gasps> this month. Oh my yes. God. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And obviously birthday, say that. Say. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We wouldn't have been able to make it to nine years if it weren't for the partners and the community. Mm. Like that's really what it comes down to. Like the reason we're still here nine years later is because there's a need. We're passionate about the work we do and yeah, we'll continue to show up for our clients, for our community, and continue to build and strengthen relationships. Honey, yeah. thank you. And you're so passionate about what you do. And I'm so grateful that we've had the opportunity to record this. And you have to send me after this podcast networking events because you just yes, you just you just <laughs> called me out There's there. There's plenty. Okay, There's good. plenty. There's, I want to say PBS, we host the Seminole Breakfast Club in Lake Mary, but there's, I know our fabulous um, UHS hospitals, they host Taco Tuesday by Dr. Phillips. They host Coffee and Conversations. Um, I'm writing this down. Several so <laughs> out in Central Florida, but yes, I will send them to you. Please, I'll show I'm up. Attend. I'm and gonna yeah, it's up. always, I want to say I've been doing this role now for almost six years and it's always a different group of people so even if you show up mar like one march and then you take a few months off and don't show up until june or july like it'll always be a different a different group. great group of people yeah well thank you so much for sharing that information and for those listening i hope to see you there show up yes. there be show yeah <laughs> thank you so much is there anything else that you'd like to add that you want to touch on or any like last parting words for our audience? Um, yeah, I just want to share that for anyone that does feel alone, you aren't, I know it sounds very cliche, but there are so many community organizations and partners that are eager to do as much or as little as you want from them. Um, and yeah, we're here for you. We, we hold space for you and we hope that you find healing in the work that we're doing, whether it's with PBS, BSC or anyone else in Central Florida. Like we we really you deserve to be here. Thank you so much, Juanita. I appreciate you. And I know our audience does as well. The VSC is a nonprofit organization that provides free, confidential counseling services for victims of any kind of trauma in Central Florida. The views and opinions expressed by podcast participants are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Victim Service Center of the Victim Service Center of Central Florida. This podcast content is made available for informational and educational purposes, and the VSC does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy or completeness of the content. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, 
suggestions, or correction of errors. To learn more about our services, please visit victimservicecenter.org. And to everyone listening, healing is not linear and you are not alone.